This is The Catholic Current with Father Robert Mateig. We do have to recover the sense that the fathers had of the danger of being Christian because it is dangerous. This is real struggle that we're facing today. It may not be persecution, but man, something's going on, and we better respond the way our fathers did. Well, yeah, and you know, because otherwise we become God's frozen people. And, you know, I I think of Nietzsche, who was a madman, but not a stupid man. And he said, I'd be more inclined to believe in the Savior of the Christians if the Christians looked and sounded like they were saved. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Robert McTague of the Society of Jesus, your daily host for the Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. You're listening to us from the Station of the Cross Studios, your local radio station, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app, where we proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. As always, let's start with prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Almighty God, through the intercession of St. Ignatius Loyola, we ask that you pour forth your Holy Spirit upon us, a spirit of discernment that might hear your voice and obey your command. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, friends, I believe that one way of understanding human history and human interaction with the divine, or lack thereof, is to misapprehend what God has made to misapprehend our place in the world. The devil wants us to believe that we're orphans, that we have no value, but he has a deal for us. Uh, This is a lie, and this lie extends its tentacles into public life, into private life, into media. And I think if we look at it rightly, we can learn a lot of lessons. To help me with that conversation, a, a returning guest is a listener favorite, a, a, a great friend of the show. Uh, she is an author and political and cultural commentator. You can find her good work in so many places. She has her own Substack. we're going to be linking to all of her goodies. She's known as the Crusader Gal. Sarah Kane, welcome back to The Catholic Current. Thank you, Father. It's a pleasure. Uh, Sarah, in your most recent article for Crisis Magazine, you talk about self-hatred as a barrier to one's calling, and that grabbed my attention because I think that kind of self-hatred, which God never calls for and never approves of, drives a lot of human behavior, which we'll talk about a bit later. Uh, What prompted you to write this article? Well, I speak to a lot of different people now about Catholic issues, and uh, especially with young adults. And it occurs to me that there are so many people who fail to really live up to what they were supposed to do, to their calling, one might say, because they are so mired in a type of shame, because they are ultimately unable to accept what Christ did for them. And so they, you know, they will talk about the struggle that they are having with some sin that they committed a long time ago. That they have, instead of seeing it as as a as a sin that they have already taken to confession, or that they've, you know, even fixed with their neighbor, they see it as something that defines them. Right. And I think therein lies the problem when a person takes this this incident or a series of incidents as proof of who they are fundamentally. And because they believe that this sin defines them, they're unable to see beyond into what what they're supposed to be doing at, in order to see themselves as loved children of God. And that's, my goodness, I think it's just such a painful uh, realization when you and you realize that there's so many people who who see themselves that way, and in so doing, they actually cause further injury. We we were made, you know, we are loved by God. We're made by God, and we have a, a destiny there within. And we we are able to reflect the light of God should we cooperate with grace. And we deny all of that by associating ourselves merely as instruments of sin as so many are tempted to do and i do think it's a it's a temptation it, i think right. it comes straight from the devil to to define a person uh, right. by by this thing that he did and to see no humanity that within because that's what you're doing when you define a person including yourself uh by your sin you're denying your your humanity and your worth and you're denying the fact that you have value before god if god didn't want you to exist you wouldn't um right. and, and you do and therefore he, he does and, and so, <laughs> yes of course <laughs> and so, so therefore i think that we we have to to look at these people who have been injured 
as we have all been injured by our own sins and by other people's uh, sins yes. that, that affect the way that we can see ourselves and and see instead the fact that we have an ability to move forward and that Christ's forgiveness of us um, provides that ultimately that that salvation that we I, I, I think ahead. that we're facing a, a paradox uh, friends we're talking today a returning guest is Sarah Kane the Crusader gal we're talking about a recent article she wrote about self-hatred as a barrier to one's calling I want to emphasize the idea of learning to love what God has made and Sarah I think it's because we get that wrong in two directions on the one hand there is the the denial of of sin, uh, that there there is no standard that we fall short of. There is a way of kind of playing at being sinners. You know, we kind of have a uh, a rather thin lens in terms thin in terms of effort, followed by thin in terms of of results. Uh, you know, we only play at being sinners, so we can only play at being saved. Um, and and that is and that's why no one needs to go to confession, but everyone receives holy communion, and we know the bitter fruit of, of that. Uh, on the other hand, we have the people who are so mired uh, in in their sin. I want to make a distinction between uh, guilt and shame. These are they're they're not interchangeable, and there's better and worse ways of understanding. Guilt is the recognition I did it, I am at fault, I did a wrong thing and there's no possibility of moral maturity un unless I acknowledge my fault. I can't repent. I have nothing to turn away from if I don't take responsibility for the things that I'm guilty for. Uh, shame properly understood is a, a public dimension. Uh, you know, shame is for people who are embarrassed, people who, who blush when a weakness or worse, a fault is made publicly known, uh, especially if we cause a scandal. And shame can be a, a restraint that keeps us from sin because we don't want to be the cause of scandal. Even if we have the disordered desire for the forbidden fruit, we say, I withhold myself from it because it would be shameful to do otherwise. But there's also what the psychologists call the so-called toxic shame, uh, that it's not just I, I did wrong, but I myself am wrong. There's something fundamentally wrong about me to a degree that I should never have been. And that voice is never, ever of God. Uh, St. Ignatius would insist, yes, indeed, we are sinners. And, and Ignatius leaves you no place to hide. Um, and also, we are loved sinners. And we have to learn how to live uh, for, forgiven. Uh, we got about three minutes left in the segment. Could you begin to address uh, learning to live forgiven? And, and I think that can lead us into something I have in mind for the next segment. Absolutely. So I think that one of the, I don't know, one of the virtues that isn't really talked about in the modern age, uh, sadly, is magnanimity. I think there's, there's instead so much of a focus on being, well, quiet or even a false understanding of what it is to be humble. I think that's pretty common too. Mm -hmm. um, but it, a person is is magnanimous if he's seeking what is great and, and trying to become worthy of it, in, in the words of Joseph Pieper. And the thing is that we're supposed to, to aim high. There's no shame or guilt in trying to live for God and being the best that God wanted you to be. And I think the thing right. is that if we are to live forgiven, uh, we are to acknowledge that, yes, we are, of course, sinners, and mm -hmm. then learn from those sins to understand what our vices are, how we might avoid them in the future. And also accepting the fact that we're loved means moving forward by moving forward into the embrace of the things that we're called to do. And that varies from one individual to another, depending upon his state in life. I, I can't talk um, about individuals in a generic sense. That doesn't work. But mm -hmm. what I can say is that we have to we have to orient our lives to to live the fact that we're converted. Like, 
if we if we look at the different great saints who experienced these conversions, when you look at Saint Paul, when you look at Ignatius of Loyola, as you mentioned, you see people who who came from something, who came from states of, frankly, sin, and then mm-hmm. who, who turned their lives around, not by just sort of like living in the mire of, of, of self-hatred and shame and therefore trying to hide from the world and, and hide even from God. No. Instead, they decided to try and redeem what they had experienced or what they had done even right. by, by embracing God's forgiveness and by then trying to be what God wanted them to be, to be an instrument of light in the world. And that's what we're supposed to do. And I think the the temptation is instead this whole, I'm, I'm going to hide and try to, in any way possible, cease to exist in various forms, right? I don't think that that uh, is, is meritorious. I don't think that that is what we're supposed to do. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up the distinction between uh, forgiveness and redeeming, and I want to start with that in the next segment. Friends, we come back and continue our conversation with Catholic author and commentator Sarah Kane, better known as the Crusader Gal. You want to stay with us for the whole hour in the last segment? It'll be you and me sharing timely thoughts, reflecting on what we've heard today. Remember, a rallying cry of the Catholic Current is Christus Mundo, Mundus Christo, bringing Christ to the world and the world to Christ. We do it because our Lord says so, for the greater glory of God, the love of our neighbor, and the salvation of our own soul. After the broadcast today, go to thestationofthecross.com, get our resources list, download our audio as podcast. Everything you need to take this to your family and friends, we give to you. Together, let's take it around the world. Be back in just two minutes. Please do stay with us. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTagg, your daily host for The Catholic Current. Join me on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern when we reconnect with author and artist Julian Kwasniewski. We're going to be talking about the prophet you've never heard of. And once you've heard of him, you won't forget him. Don't miss out. Join us on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on The Catholic Current, coming to you from the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. You're listening to The Catholic Current with Father Robert McTague from the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. Stay connected with the show and our guests and topics by following the show on Twitter and Gab. Just search for The Catholic Current. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Robert McTague of the Society of Jesus, your daily host for The Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. You're listening to us from the Station of the Cross Studios, your local radio station, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. We proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. On this timely Tuesday, my returning guest is Catholic author and political commentator Sarah Kane, better known as the Crusader Gal. We're talking about uh, self-hatred, forgiveness, redemption. We're going to be talking about celebrity uh, a little bit. Sarah, at the end of the last segment, you mentioned you know redemption and forgiveness. And th- that's it's a, an important distinction. I remember when I was a novice, after a particularly difficult confession, the, the confessor had said that God not only wants to, to forgive our sins, but he wants to re- redeem are our sins. And, and what does that mean? Obviously, you don't want to say, well, gosh, I'm glad I sinned that way, because no, you should never want to sin. Uh, you should never be glad that your, your sin happens. But I know from experience as a penitent and as a confessor that uh, if we allow ourselves to feel the full sorrow that God wants to us to have for our sin, if we encounter his true freely given yet costly mercy, uh, we can have a repugnance towards our sin and a compassion for sinners that we didn't have before. So that's why we, we can talk about our sins not only forgiven, but also being redeemed. But that entails that we don't approach confession superficially. You know, I'm going to the courthouse to get my record expunged, and but nothing about me is going to change. That's simply an abuse of of the sacrament. Uh, now, sir, I want to shift a little bit because I, I know that you have 
I've been working on an essay that I hope will be seen soon. And it was about publicity, uh, celebrity, uh, public fault, if you will, and uh, the most recent case of, of Michael Voris, uh, of church militant, stepping down from his position. Can you uh, lead us through your, your thoughts on this matter, please? Of course. So, um, well, for me, Michael Voris and church militant, they played a pretty, I don't want to say a key role, but certainly a role in my conversion to the Catholic faith. And see, the thing is, I don't think most people can say that, but when I stumbled across them, I, I didn't know many Catholics at all because I came from a Protestant background and it's just kind of a bit of a different world. But uh, when I came across them, I, I saw Michael Varas raving, as, as he did, um, about the scandals within the church, the cover-ups within the, the church that he found to be egregious. Uh, and, of course, I agreed with that. What I found interesting, though, is that Varas continued to be Catholic. And mm. if you ever come across a different, you know, Protestant uh, individual of any of the sects, you would hear them if they complain about it, the church that they're in, they leave. Like, okay, mm -hmm. so I'm I'm scandalized by the Presbyterians, therefore tomorrow I'm Methodist. Uh, but instead, uh, Varus and his team didn't do that, and that gave me uh, cause for thought that the that the Catholic faith is different. Um, which, and because of that, because of the understanding that developed over some time that the Catholic faith is different because it's the church that Christ founded and it is the fullness of the truth and it is how he wishes us to worship. And that's why I'm Catholic as opposed to because I like the Vatican or because it's the easiest, neither of which um, are certainly true. <laughs> um, but, in present uh, circumstances, yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. But because of that, the sort of public fall of Michael Varus was a little bit personally painful, actually. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that Varus and Church Militant have, on many occasions, in my opinion, gotten very carried away with some of their attacks on different public figures, uh, mm -hmm. such that not long after I joined the Catholic Church, I stopped watching because it seemed like they were just on a descent of anger and rage and uh, using those things to attract more viewers and so on. And I, I didn't want a part of that. However, I think when I look at um, Varus's personal fall uh, now as he has stepped down uh, from church militant, uh, apparently for a violation of the morality clause of that company, uh, what I now see is somebody who who is going to suffer the consequences of living in the modern age, which is part of, I have to say, what he created at Church Militant. Uh, if you'd allow me to elaborate, it's, mm -hmm. it, it's an environment in which that level of aggression and condemnation towards public figures without any sort of sense of forgiveness or understanding of the humanity of individuals uh, is, is lost. So... Mm -hmm. For example, okay, Michael Varas is going to step down and apparently he's going to get some treatment that he needs uh, to assist him with what he's dealing with. Okay, but what does that mean? What, is, what does that mean in human terms as to how do we step away from uh, the public limelight in a time such as this? Are, are we to pretend that it won't have an impact on him, that he'll probably have thousands of articles written about what happened at Church Militant and what happened to him individually, tons of people uh, talking about his sins, uh, his phone won't you know, light up with thousands of different messages? Of course they will, because this is the age that we live in. And people will ultimately condemn not just his sin, um, but they'll do it in such a way that that implies that it is impossible for a person to be seen outside of their sin. And that's what I find to be bothersome in our age, because I don't think that's a Catholic worldview. And that's one of the reasons I stuck with Church Militant, is because I think that after a time, um, seeing things in that light is not Catholic, because you can't 
deny a person's humanity and define him solely by his sin um and uh, and at the same time say that you're you're acting in a catholic manner because i don't think you are friends we're speaking today with uh catholic author and commentator sarah kane better known as the crusader gal uh, we're talking about celebrity guilt and, and shame um you know, I I am a sinner. I'm certainly not in a position to pick up a stone to, to throw at anyone. I, I don't delight in anyone's public humiliation, and I do pray that whatever it is that Michael Voris needs to be healed and to be right with our Lord, I, I hope he does find uh, all of that. Um, you know, there's... We, we live in, in a world of, of instant celebrity, uh, sometimes not of our own making. Someone is, you know, videotaped doing an awkward thing and it goes viral. Or someone deliberately videos themselves and, you know, or TikTok or some other form of, of social media and they make themselves uh, famous or infamous uh, that way. And there is that craving for recognition that I, I find really disturbing and, and indicative of a manic kind of, of loneliness. Uh, people who are not sure that they are, are loved, who are not sure that they have an inherent inextinguishable worth, are going to go craving for approval of others. And so this is where Aquinas makes the distinction between honor and fame. Uh, fame is how the mob regards us. It's the highest opinion of, of the lowest common denominator, if you will. Uh, and that is, is fickle. And it's also sadly addictive. Uh, I mean, look, look at the tragic case of, you know, some poor soul like, like Britney Spears. What, what a mess that poor child of God is. Uh, and whereas honor, Aquinas says, is recognition from the honorable and, and, and the virtuous. So among those striving to be magnanimous, those who are seeking to become great-souled uh, people, their recognition of, yeah, you're, you're, you're one of us and we're all in this together. And that's the appeal really of the the communion of saints we want to be the kind of person that as we step out of time and into eternity the saints will point to us and say yes he's he's one of us he lived and died for uh what what we did so now we have the tools to pursue fame like never ever before uh, we're lonely and isolated as never before I think this is a wonderful opportunity for the devil to help us forget about our baptismal dignity and addict us to uh, approval. And would you like to take the next three minutes and, and talk about that? Yes, I think that it's a, a terrible thing, especially for our young people. You know, anyone can set up a YouTube channel or a TikTok uh, station and and film themselves doing things that um, are either stupid or just naive and and not really think through the consequences, not fully understand the consequences. And then they can um, live in a sort of alternative reality, uh, departed from their friends and family. So they live off of the approval of people that they have never met and who do not care about them. Um, and they cling to it. And it's what they need constantly. There's this form of validation um, that they they thrive off of. And I think that it's, at the very least, a, a sign of a vacancy within their own family and friends that should have taken place as a result of, I think, that our absence of community in the modern age has some of an impact upon this. But the trouble with these uh, individuals who have, you know, like a million subscribers or something, and they have the constant influx of different validation on their phone uh, popping up and never giving them a moment's peace, is that they are, are just one sentence away from that fall, that public fall, mm -hmm. um, when they are acknowledged as a human being who is actually flawed and capable of making a mistake. Uh, and ultimately, I think the people who are dealing with very real sins um, in the background or just difficulties in the background are less likely to actually seek help because instead they're propping up this artificial image of themselves that can never sustain. Right. And again, the people who are giving them that validation don't actually know them as a human being. Uh, they they right. don't know their, their intricacies. They don't love them. 
Right. And ultimately, that's what this is. It's this world without any love. <laughs> right, the, the, right. Well, but that's right. the definition of hell, isn't it? it it's a knowledge <laughs> exactly. of, of surfaces. And, you know, you may be acknowledged as, as useful. You may be acknowledged as, as comestible, but you don't have any value or worth on your own. So you're either a resource or your competition. And that is the definition of hell. And what what's really frightful is that it denies human complexity, it denies human dignity, and it denies the possibility that God can be enough for the human heart. And I think we live in a culture that is determined to preclude that vision from us. Friends, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Catholic author and commentator Sarah Kane, better known as the Crusader Gal. You want to stay with us for the whole hour because in the last segment, it's you and me sharing timely thoughts, reflecting on what we've heard today. After the broadcast today, go to the thestationofthecross.com, get our resources list, download our audio as podcast. Wherever you can find audio, you can find us. Follow us on your favorite platform, write a five-star review. We need to attract the attention of the listeners so that these conversations get the attention they deserve. Take us to your family and friends. Together, we'll take it to the whole world. Back in just two minutes. Please do stay with us. This is The Catholic Current from the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. Catch up on an episode you've missed or share them with your family and friends. The Catholic Current is podcasted wherever you enjoy listening. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, TuneIn, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Robert McTague of the Society of Jesus, your daily host for the Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. You're listening to us from the Station of the Cross Studios, your local radio station and the iCatholic Radio mobile app, where we proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. It's Timely Tuesday, which means you want to stay with us for the whole hour. The next segment, it's you and me sharing timely thoughts, reflecting on what we've heard today. My returning guest today is a listener favorite, a Catholic author and commentator, Sarah Kane, also known as the Crusader gal. Uh, Sarah, we've been talking about uh, a, a difficult topic. Um, you know, we've been talking about guilt and shame and learning how to receive forgiveness and maybe receiving not only God's forgiveness, but forgiveness uh, from our, ourselves. And that's a perennial problem. I mean, gosh, you can go back to Greek drama and see a lot of those issues. What I think is different now is the cult of personality and celebrity has been a um, universalized. It's become more democratic, if you will, because of social media. Uh, and then there is the, the emptiness, the vacuity of, uh, of our culture. We were isolated and locked into our devices to begin with. We had the COVID interruption that made it worse. We were told that worship is not an essential service. And then people discovered that they had a preference for worshiping in their jammies while eating breakfast while staring into a screen and calling that mass, for example. And I've already had, and I know other priests who've had people kind of get nostalgic for the good old days where you didn't actually have to, you know, show up to worship. You could do it privately in the comfort of, of your own home. M my contention is that um, socially, spiritually, technologically, we are very well positioned to continue the downward spiral of uh, idolizing celebrity and alienating our ourselves from God. Is that just my Irish melancholy flaring up, or do you think I might be onto something? No, I think it's absolutely right. I, I think that we live in an age of disconnected loneliness. I think we all have a drive to to matter and to make a difference and that's that's being kind of misdirected uh at the moment uh especially that drive is aimless and mm. reckless you know the uh the young man who was charged for planning to murder supreme court justice kavanaugh uh, and his family said that he was hoping that he could matter by doing so mm. 
And I think that's sort of emblematic of where so many young people are right now um, mm-hmm. in that they don't understand because they're raised in a secular age without God, how it is that they are to matter. And I mm-hmm. think that's, that fuels in part the social media usage and phenomenon that we can just sort of matter by getting a certain number of clicks on a phone or what have you. It's the, it's the fact that we are living, are living in such a nihilistic time where people are told that they are nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore they start to define themselves, if not by their sins, um, instead by their output, mm-hmm. that, that they can only be what they, what they produce. And that's, as a result of that, an extension of that, that's when you eventually get to things like um, euthanasia, because the person who can't can't produce for the for the collective, therefore, mm-hmm. is just you know terminated. But but they all kind of go together into this devaluing uh, of the human person. Right, and you know the the, the flip side, you know, I, I I am what I produce. There's also the idea of uh, I am what I consume. So designer this and designer that, and having the right kind of labels and so on, and young people literally literally killing each other for the right kind of sneakers and uh, and so on. Uh, that bespeaks a a kind of uh, of emptiness. I remember some years ago, oh five six maybe ten years ago, um, there was a there was a series of riots in London about something or other, and shops were looted. Um, and, you know, it was pretty much electronic stores and, and athletic uh, footwear and so on. And then the, the, the bookstore was always intact. I, I mean, no one even spilled a soft drink on the sidewalk in front of, of the, the bookstore. And I said, you know, if you've got to loot, loot the bookstore. But I'm not <laughs> a representative sample of, of, of anything. Um, you know, if there were a fountain pen store, then I'd really have a struggle with my conscience. But that having been said, um, I think we're at a point where we say, can we now, can we admit, now can we admit that this isn't working? You know, I would tell my students, I said, you know, especially in the spring semester, that's when they decided that they invented romantic love and that life, the universe, and everything owed them a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and they couldn't possibly be happy without one. And I'd say, give Christ the first satisfaction of your heart. Let him be enough for you so you approach a person with fullness and generosity rather than craving. Now, Sarah, would you be shocked if I told you that they almost never listened? No, no, not, not in the <laughs> least. Um, and just as they define themselves by the, their output, they also define other people by their output and specifically what they can do for them. Um, right. and, this, and this is what you see in so many of the uh, romantic relationships gone wrong, and I'm sure it's what you saw in those students that you attempted to direct and who ignored you, um, but who who make their uh, spouse into someone who can only give to them. And they fail to see the spouse as an individual who, too, is created an image and likeness of God and is loved by God uh, and has his own uh, autonomy. And mm-hmm. I think that, that that means that they're not really loving the other person because they can't, you know, because uh, I know we've touched on this before, but to, to love an individual is to want what's best for him, and what's best for him is always God. So yes. to see him departed from God um, simply as an an instrument of yourself, which is so common in this age of narcissism, um, is is incredibly harmful and yet has absolutely become the norm. You know, I, I think, too, that one of the ways that um, we, we fail each, especially with, with, with spouses and parents with, with children, you know, when, uh, I, w- I would tell married couples, I said, you know, the the first great gift you give to your child that you bring into the world is, is, you know, you bring them to the faith, you bring them to our Lord. But the second is to communicate in word and deed, you are worth my time. You know, you are worth my best effort. And I'm sure you and I have tried to sit in Panera's and try to do some writing and there's some cute little munchkin at a table being completely ignored by an idiot parent who's just staring blankly into uh, a, a device. Uh, likewise, um, we don't communicate, you know, to, to, to God Almighty who says to us, you are worth my son, we kind of look at our watch and say, is this going to take long? And you begin to wonder, what do we think that we're doing that's so important that we can ignore without consequence our our family and and our our god it's a 
It, it, it's a mystery to me. Uh, I, I've been told that people don't like to be told what to do, and they don't like to have, you know, the list of seven things you need to do to have revival or to avoid the apocalypse, to pick strangely specific examples. Um, can, can you at least recommend, I mean, you're, you're well-read, you take the faith seriously. Are there at least some best practices that you can recommend? Um, well, not saying God is the last thing in your life um, would Where's be a start. Idea? Right, I know. Um, it's the trouble is is how do you say to a person and get them to listen to this mm -hmm. kind of a message that you have to orient your life around Christ because the only people who seem to be listening are those who are already doing that. Um, yes. So that's been been my consistent issue. But I do think honestly that one of the biggest things is the sacrament of confession or reconciliation. I, I think that that is one area in which a person can really create or fix those bridges, better said, that have mm -hmm. been burned by our own sin. And mm -hmm. I think that when we don't go, and I think what happens um, is that we, we fail to feel him. We fail to feel that relationship, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, we fail to live orderly, our intellects darken, and we're not so able to see what it is that we ought to be doing. And instead, just the, let me go to Mass on Sunday and arrive, I don't know, exactly on time, uh, and not a little bit before so I can pray, or, or maybe just 15 minutes late like so many do, um, because this is just sort of a reflex or a, a tradition that our family has done. And I think that what happens is you reorder your life in such a way that Christ is absolutely la last, and mm -hmm. you hope that someday when when you die that he, can, he does what, what he owes you. It's this really uh, wicked manner of seeing things instead of instead of seeing the truth and the, the truth is just beautiful actually because the truth is that he gave you everything and you right. owe him everything um right. in return and he did and it seems like he he asked for so little um yes and yet and yet people just turn away and i, I find it heartbreaking and tragic because as they turn away they hurt not just him but also themselves and everybody in their orbit as they do yes. so because as they are darkened as they are unable to hear and to see they harm those around them with their lackluster knowledge and their broken and disordered uh, mannerisms and you you essentially don't just just as our world, our secular world, is now trying to build itself without Christ and everything's burning, you can do that too as an individual by not, you know, placing him in his, as, in his proper position in your life. And instead, your entire life will be a state of disorder that hurts all those around you uh, in a very similar way. Uh, sir, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up. I mean, there is a sense in which, you know, my sin is between me and God, but there's another sense in which it isn't. Um, to the degree that I am a sinner, I am a, a stumbling block, I am a scandal, I am uh, someone dangerous to be around, and to the degree that I am in a state of grace, to the degree that my conscience might be illumined, my moral imagination illumined by grace, uh, the, the scales fall from my eyes, so to speak, as a result of being in a state of grace, to the degree that I am becoming a saint, I can be uh, a source of blessing for others. And I think that when we thoughtlessly adopt the standards of the world, when we blithely say, well, Sarah, I don't need to go to confession. It's not like I killed anybody. Uh, and when, when our, our, our imagination is darkened, our wills are weak, and our intellects are, are dim, we might unwittingly say hurtful, stupid, damaging things to people who are vulnerable uh, and, and, uh, and in need. And, and in a minute and a half, you, you can talk me out of my dark view of humanity if you care to. <laughs> I'm not the person to ask for that. Um, <laughs> but I would at least agree with you that it's, it's not only you and your fate. And that's the thing that the things that you do have rippled effects. You affect your loved ones. You affect those around you for better or for worse. And I'm, I'm very fond of saying this because I, I believe it to be both true and beautiful. And that's that as we cooperate 
with the light of Christ, we can refract his light in different ways into the world. If you yes. choose not to, the the world will be darker because of your failure to live up to what you were supposed to do. Uh, and and so that's both, I don't know, both dark and light, Because, but it's really yes. up to you as to which one you do, but your potential right. there to those around yeah, you. The, the image I, I use often is that if we fail to be salt and light to people, we will put people in mortal and moral and ultimately immortal danger. Uh, God is, is not glorified by that, and souls and lives can be lost because of our spiritual fecklessness. Uh, Sarah Kay and the Crusader Girl, God bless your, your good work. We're going to be linking to all your good stuff, and we look forward to next time. Thank you so much, as do I. I'm Jesuit Father Robert McTague, your host here every day at the Catholic Current. It's Timely Tuesday today. You know what that means? The last segment, it is you and me sharing timely thoughts, reflecting on what we've heard today. And I'm going to be poking around under some rocks and looking at some headlines. And I may get myself worked up into a state. So brace yourself for that. Be part of the conversation. Follow what we're following by following us on Gab. That's G-A-B.com. The channel is the Catholic Current. And you can influence the conversation. You can contact Contact us at the station of the cross.com slash ask father comments, questions, recommendations. We read everything that you send us and we sometimes adjust our priority schedules and guest list in light of your recommendations and need. We're all in this together. We're back in just two minutes. Please do stay with us. There's no better way to start your day than with spiritual formation from inspiring priests. The message of the Divine Mercy is easy as A, B, C. A, we have to ask for mercy, right? So our Lord tells Sister Faustina, unless souls come and draw from my mercy, they will never have peace. We have to ask for mercy, A. B. We have to be merciful. Divine mercy in action. Be merciful in deed, word, and prayer. And see, we have to completely trust in Jesus. A, B, C. Very easy. Okay? So that's the essence of the message of divine mercy. That's Sermons for Everyday Living from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Have a question or feedback about today's episode? Want to suggest a guest or a future topic? Go to thestationofthecross.com slash askfather and help influence the conversation. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Robert McTague of the Society of Jesus, your daily host for the Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. You're listening to us from the Station of the Cross Studios, your local radio station, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app, where we proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. It's the last segment of Timely Tuesday. You know what that means? You and me sharing timely thoughts, reflecting on what we've heard today. If you missed out, you do want to hear my interview with Sarah Kane, the Crusader Gal. We were talking about um, celebrity, sin, shame, guilt, responsibility, reconciliation. Uh, she gave a really powerful uh, testimony uh, showing a, a deep understanding of the human condition and, and the goodness of, of our Lord. You know, as, as we look through the headlines, it's, it's more of the same. Wicked people seem to have their hands on the levers of power and threaten violence when people know that bad things are happening. Uh, people in Ireland have they've decided they don't like what foreigners stab women and children. And the response of the powers that be in Ireland is to ramp up uh, anti-hate speech legislation. You know, what, does that really merit an intelligent response? Do I really need to say very much about it? Uh, fingers pointing, elections, people robbing, people killing, the usual, the usual, the usual. What do we have to say about all that? Well, before you know it, uh, the season of Advent is going to be here. And on Friday, I'm going to be talking about do we really need another Advent season? 
Um, the short answer is yes, because nearly everyone gets the season of Advent wrong, because we really don't get Christmas right. There is a, a, a sense of consumerism and sentimentality about Christmas that is not good for souls and doesn't glorify God. And Advent is just kind of the manic lead-up time to shopping and spending orgies and, and the baking of cookies. Uh, we don't understand gifts. We don't understand the incarnation. Uh, yes, of course, Christmas should be a very joyful time. Yes, I am certainly looking forward to spending time with my family. I had with Christmas traditions, I, I love all of that. I don't want to throw any shade on that at all. I also think that we need a, a good dose of sobriety. Uh, in our country, where uh, the fabric is becoming undone, uh, the lawlessness in many cities with the cluelessness of the people who should know better is a very dangerous combination. Um, I have been talking with priests, as I often do. Also, you know, who's been contacting like me? A lot of DREs, a lot of directors of religious education. And what they're telling me is if they, they've inherited a system of, of a kind of a a charade, a kind of make-believe. You know, the old joke in the Soviet Union among factory workers is, you know, they pretend to pay us and we pretend to work. Well, apparently, the way a lot of religious education is worked, done in parishes, based on what I've heard from priests and religious educators, is we kind of go through the motions that we believe and we make sure that the kids are acutely photographed for the different sacramental events, baptism, Eucharist, confirmation. And then it all just stops. Nobody really cares. If you notice, for example, that, hey, you know, the kids at the parish school are at a weekday mass for whatever reason, and father begins to suspect, so I'm told, that, you know, these kids don't, come to Mass very often, and the reason that Father suspects that, when the kids show up for communion, they stop short. They stop short of his ability to reach them with the host. Now, if they had a habit of going to Mass regularly and seeing how people receive Holy Communion properly, they would know that they can't receive communion if Father can't reach them. So parents are at least going through the expense of paying for a Catholic education, but really have no involvement in the religious formation of their own children. They want to check the box. They want to get the photograph to send to grandma so that grandma doesn't disinherit them, but they're not really interested. I know that there are well-intentioned pastors who are sending out basically customer satisfaction surveys to their parishioners. I suppose that's a good thing. It might be useful in some way. But no one is discussing what's the level of knowledge and understanding, not to mention maturity, of the adult Catholics who are showing up on Sundays, of, of the few who show up at all. My, my point is this. Uh, the world has lost its mind to the degree that it has separated itself from the knowledge and love of Christ. And the members of his body are, are losing grace and are in danger of losing their salvation to the degree that they separate themselves from the mind and heart of Christ. We have no sense of our identity, our dignity, or our destiny. So yes, we really do need another Advent. Advent is a penitential season. Advent is a time to review the prophecies and the promises of God. And you know what? Prophecy always comes with threats. 
If you choose life, you will be blessed. If you reject life, you will be cursed. That is the work of the prophets. The coming of our Lord was prophesied. It was surrounded with promises. And the scandal and tragedy was that the experts, the people who spend all their time studying the scriptures and the prophecies and the signs to get ready for the arrival of the Messiah, they didn't get it. Uh, the apostles who spent years with our Lord, heard his preaching, saw his wonders, they didn't get it. Even after they met him risen from the grave, our Lord is rebuking them at the ascension, the late date of the ascension, because they weren't recognizing who he was and what he was fulfilling and what he expected. We should not be surprised then when we're kind of lights out about what God is doing in the world, what he expects, what he promises, what he offers, and what he threatens. So I really hope, it is my earnest prayer for all of us, and believe me, I'm looking in the mirror as I say this, that Advent leading up to Christmas will be serious, it will be sober, it will be contrite, and it will be steeped in the Word of God. Promises have been made, prophecies are being fulfilled. God is watching, and we must respond. We will either do well or we will do badly. Doing badly is the default value. Doing well will not happen by accident. I'm Jesuit Father Robert McTague, your host here every day of the Catholic Current. If you want to join us tomorrow, we're going to reconnect with Catholic uh, author and musician Julian Kwasniewski. We're going to be talking about the prophet that you've never heard of. You want to listen to this conversation. It's going to be important. You'll be glad that you did. After the broadcast today, go to thestationofthecross.com, get our resources list, download our audio as podcast. Everything you need to take us to your family and friends, we give to you. Together, let's take it around the world. We can do it together. We cannot do it without you. Let's do this good work. Through the intercession of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, let me mighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go in peace, and please do pray for me. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Station of the Cross.com, a listener funded nonprofit organization. Please prayerfully consider donating at the Station of the Cross.com by calling 1 877 888 6279 or through our free iCatholic Radio mobile app.